Hey everyone, this is Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where we dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how the crypto movement truly came to be. Let's dive in. This is episode 50. I'm so grateful and so thankful to you, my listeners, for doing this with me and for listening and for being a part of this process. Just so you know, this show directly and indirectly employs over 10 people that now, because you guys listen to the show, they have full-time jobs in our industry. So if we had done nothing else but given jobs for these people, we've been successful. On this episode, I talked to my good friend, Peter McCormick, who is an inspiration for me. He runs one of the most successful podcast in the world, not just Bitcoin related. He also runs one called Defiance and What Bitcoin Did. And when I listened to his show before I started my show, I said, I want to do what he's doing. And so I'm very grateful that Peter came on the show today. We talked about kind of why I started the show, why he started the show. We talked about the traumatic things that happened in both our lives, got emotional. And we talked about the state of Bitcoin and crypto in the past 10 years. And are we excited for 2020? I don't want to do a longer intro because I want to get right to it. Thank you so much again. And I'll talk to you guys right after the ads. I'm so honored that Untold Stories is sponsored by eToro. eToro is the smartest crypto trading platform and one of the largest in the world with over a trillion dollars in trading volume per year. What I really love about eToro is that the CEO has been around the Bitcoin space since 2012, so they really, really put their money where their mouths are. U.S. customers, myself included, we can trade the most popular crypto assets, in fact, almost all the ones that you want to trade with low but transparent fees, so you actually know what you're paying for everything. And that's really, really, really important. So if you're not ready to trade yet, you can practice building your portfolio with the eToro $100,000 virtual trading feature. So you can create this whole portfolio without trading with any real money to see how you'll do. And you can learn all the different ins and outs without using any real money yet. And then once you're comfortable, you can enter the market and start buying and selling crypto for real. Best of all, one of my favorite features is that you can connect with 11 million other eToro traders in the world, myself included. And we can talk trading, charts, and all things crypto. So listen, head on over to eToro.com. Links are in the show notes and build your crypto portfolio the smart way. Told stories wouldn't be here without the amazing production company, Blockworks Group. A few months ago, I approached Blockworks Group and I said, hey guys, I want to do a show, Untold Stories. Can we make it happen? And these guys are the only event and podcast production company that I trust. Really, the show is powered by them and it wouldn't be here today without the amazing work of the Blockworks Group team. So for access to all the premier digital asset conferences and to check out their other podcasts in their network that they produce, check them out at blockworksgroup.io. That's blockworksgroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. This is a little bit of a different episode. I'm really excited. And we're here with Peter McCormick, who you all know and is a huge inspiration to me, the founder and host of What Bitcoin Did and Defiance Podcast. Peter, thank you for coming on the show. 
Anytime, man. You're a good friend now, Charlie. So anything you ever need from me <laughs> is uh, is never a problem. And it's a bit weird you're saying that I'm an inspiration. Like if to, I'm an inspiration to you because like you're somebody I've been aware of for a long time, right? Like I was aware of you, but way before you knew who I was. And uh, you know, somebody I looked out for. I was like, I gotta meet that guy sometime. Gotta get up. Gotta hang out with that dude sometime. And then you got in touch with me, and you were like, Do you want to come out to Florida, hang out? And we made a show, probably one of my best shows. And uh, here we are. So. Uh, Wow, thanks. I really appreciate this. Thanks for thanks for doing it. And so this is this is like my episode fifty. And when you came to Florida, I don't even think I had recorded one episode yet. Maybe I had recorded like two or three, and I was still unsure of doing doing the show. And it just kind of all happened very quickly. And and here, um, I picked your brain a lot, and you gave me a lot of really good advice. Uh, I followed most of your advice, and it's worked. Um, one piece of advice that you gave me was, I remember it was funny. You said how sometimes you'll get excited. You'll see the traffic downloads start to rise after a big episode for like a week or two. And then it just goes back to the, where it was and it still continues that slow growth. You know, it's, it's disheartening sometimes where, um, the growth of the show is so tied to the markets, at least. Do you, do you see that too? It's yeah. It's funny. You should say that because, I'm going through the exact same experience now with Defiance. So I, I think when we'd met, I think you'd recorded a couple of shows because you told me about it. You said you'd recorded a couple, but I don't think you'd released any. And um, yeah, so that was one of the bits of advice I gave for you. And, you know, I still get it with uh, what Bitcoin did. I mean, if I look at the chart now in front of me, there's different periods of times. There's times where it's been flat and then times where it's been going up. You know, I think I'm about now to hit another flat period. Um and you know, I had it like so. My first few months were really flat, where I was doing like five, six thousand a month, and then I had this like spurt, and I was I got to like twenty, twenty five thousand a month, and then uh, and then I had it, I got up to this point where I was doing about a hundred thousand a month, and then uh, this year, like March, from March until July, it was really f- like kind of flat. It's like waving between one forty and one fifty, and then it shot up again, and I had like this month where I did like nearly like three hundred thousand. Uh, December dropped again, but I th- I've got this feeling now I'm about to go through an, an, like another flat period. I, I feel like it's almost like um, you go through different periods where you 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 kind of level up, and as you level up, it could be in terms of your guest or the type of show you make, and then a bunch of new people find out about you, and then it kind of uh, levels out again. I think my Bitcoin show is going to go through a flat period. I'll, I'll t- I'm talk to you about what's going to happen next year as well, uh, like the things. Well, this year now, the plans I've got, but I'm going through it all with defiance now, right? Like I've got really great downloads of what Bitcoin did, and I'm releasing these shows on defiance, and I'm like, this show is amazing. This thing I flew out to Bolivia, I've like done all this research, and like two thousand people have listened to it. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, <laughs> so yeah, I know exactly what you're going through, buddy. And you've been having like these unbelievable guests on your, on your new podcast. Where do you, where do you find them? I know you should be asking me questions, but now I'm, I'm, I'm interested. It's so, it's so cool to see you branching off into something non-Bitcoin related. How do you find these guests? And I mean, how are you building the format of that new show? Well, that's cool. Look, we can go back and forth on this because I've got questions for you as well. And, you know, I want to find out your experience, but uh, they come in a range of ways. You know, I get a lot of people who come directly to me and I have to kind of filter through and think, do I want that as an interesting story? Sometimes it's, is it relevant in the news? So I go and find somebody. So right now, obviously, what's going on in an Iraq in Iran and Iraq is highly relevant, and I'm I'm looking for the angle for for me to cover that. Um, I have a strong relationship with Alex Gladstein at the Human Rights Foundation. He's recommended people to me. So it's just a range of things, and um, 
and really it was just to begin with just about getting out a bunch of shows i am now like what i want to do over the next month say with defiance i want to do a bit of a uk focus so i've got some ideas of things i want to cover i really want to cover what's going on with knife crime here um yeah it can be a range of things i actually have uh, in front of me charlie on my um my browser i have this little uh folder in the uh, shortcuts which says ideas in there, there's a folder for Defiance and a folder for what Bitcoin did. And uh, you might enjoy this, but whenever something comes up on Twitter or on the news, and I think that's something I want to target, I just drag the link in the folder. So I kind of had this this uh, kind of directory of, of different guests or topics I want to cover. But it depends. I mean, also, like I said, it depends on the show. I, You know, with the Bitcoin show right now, I'm doing my beginner's guide, right? So I'm pulling together. I've got like 15 interviews planned, which is ideally going to serve as like a... A starting point like if you charlie you have somebody who wants to get into bitcoin you don't know you know where to recommend them hopefully you can say well everyone goes to lops website which you should do but you know pete created these 15 interviews which were all about like getting you into bitcoin it will explain you know why bitcoin is important how it works how you buy it like all those things you need to just kind of embed yourself but yeah it's just a there's no like set pattern there's just a lot of bunch of techniques i have i mean how about you how are you choosing your guests it's very interesting how I choose my guests. So um, initially, I just took like a spreadsheet, a blank spreadsheet, and I just kind of started writing down names. And I came out with a bunch of names and I chose the first five people. I said, these are people that um, I kind of already know their stories a little bit and people that I'm close to and I already have good vibes with. Um, and so that's how originally I got it. And now I, I almost go back in time. So I'm history is constantly being made. Uh, you know, my show is a little bit different. I, yeah. I'm I'm trying to like see myself as this more like crypto historian now uh -huh. um, because I've lived it, uh, most of it. And I lived it as a young kid when you, you, you're a sponge. You know, I wasn't that young, but I was like, you know, 19, 20, 21 when I first got into it. So I was learning, grasping, uh, taking a lot in. And so I remember a lot. Um, I remember a lot of the people. And so what I'm trying to do is um, remind and entertain entertain people and so finding those guests that uh, have the great stories and then what ends up happening is a lot of my guests will make connections and bring up other guests in other stories so it's like someone's like yeah i remember vitalik was pitching ethereum to me while we were sitting in a hot tub together i'm like wait you were sitting in a hot tub with vitalik i need to like get vitalik on the show before I can even make that make your episode public, because I can't, you know what I mean? Yeah, like I, I can't let him not have his side of the take. So you're, fi I'm finding that, and a lot of people have very strong opinions and sides of how things went down. Luckily, I'm able to fact check because I either was there or I know people that were there. So I'm kind of building this whole um, audio story of of the early days of of Bitcoin, and then as Bitcoin opened up into crypto, so. Uh, for those who listen to the show, they know that I, I'm very careful when I use the word Bitcoin. I'm very careful when I use the word blockchain and crypto because I'm not going to talk about an early crypto story of 2011 when the word crypto never fucking existed into, to, until 2014. Yeah. Have you got a favorite show you've made? You got anything that like really oh, stood man. out? There, I, it's hard to like think off the back, but I actually the one I just released on Tuesday with, with Bill from Bittrex was so good because he... Um, had such funny stories. 
I love the stories. I love the episodes when people remind me of things that I forgot about. It's like, hey, Charlie, remember when we were sitting in that restaurant in Argentina and we wanted to start a Bitcoin association? And I'm like, no, I don't remember that. <laughs> and then I'll ask Courtney later and she'd be like, yeah, I was there. Like, oh, okay. So like when people remind me of things, this has been such a memory jog for me doing this show. Um, and also I like shows where people tell me about what people were thinking of me during certain times. So I'll interview people and say, like, what was going on in 2014 and 2015 during my arrest or what happened? So there, I have this huge gap, like from 2000, for, I have like a year gap from 2015 to like early 2016. And like, what I'm learning is nothing actually like happened during that year. It was a very quiet, like depressing bear market. But the year before that was a very quiet and depressing bear market too. So I'm like trying to figure out, um, that was a long ass bear market, bear market, the 2014 to 2016. But I also like how I kind of don't talk about the price on the show ever, except for right now. Uh, we do not do it. I've stopped talking about the price, but it, I think one of those things is, is even more so for you. I mean, what were you, were you like a 2011 guy? Remind yes. me. Yeah. So, right. So I'm like, I came in just into 2016. So say it's been three years, but Let's talk about just the last year only, right? We've had a long, another long ass bear market. And, you know, I've, I try and think over the last year and so much has happened in the space of a year. So like I've done 120 shows just on Bitcoin alone in the last year. So if I go back to the like, start, you know, start of uh, last year, it was uh, the first show was episode 60, right? Episode 60. And I'm now on like 182. I'm like, God, what wow. have I covered? And then I realized, like, in there, I've done a whole month of lightning shows. I've, um, I did my Mount Gox series, right? And then I've been all to different places. I've been to Florida and hung out with you. I've been to Taiwan. I've been to Hong Kong. I've been to, yeah, you know, I've been out to the States like 20, 20 times. I've been out to South America. And, and do you know what? I, I doubt I could remember all of it. I, I wish in some ways I was a vlogger and have it all journaled because so much has happened. So God knows how you, Charlie, would remember the last nine years because, you've been through infinitely more experiences and met so many people. So I think trying to keep, keep track of all that, it's got to be really hard. It's hard. And, and, and you're right. And so you look at, if I was there and I've, I have so much documentation, um, you know, just the emails I read and, and things like that. And if I'm forgetting those early days, then most people um, are, you know, have, are forgetting or forgot those days my my biggest concern, um, and I've been tweeting about it lately, is is whitewashing, and I'll kind of get into that why I think that's a concern in a minute, um, because, and I hate to say it, and and then dude, like crypto media is going to come after me when I say this, but I feel like crypto media has gotten less independent, and when CoinDesk had first launch, CoinDesk wasn't seen as like a business type of site when Pete Rizzo had, was part of the founding team. It was more of like Hey, there's a need for a crypto reporting site, you know, somewhere uh -huh. where we can report on news. Let's create one for the market. But then now it's not just CoinDesk, but, but kind of all of them have become this, this different type of animal. And I think it's a problem of the larger um, media. You know, we just don't trust it. But what I've, what I've learned about podcasts, and, and now I understand, you know, you keep reading articles that podcast growth is just growing exponentially and everyone's listening to podcasts. And before I started doing a show, I did listen to some, 
but I didn't really listen to a lot of them. And I never understood why, but now I understand why. So the reason I think podcast growth is going to continue to grow is that you, Peter, and me, Charlie, we control and are part of the process from show, you know, you know, from the beginning of like conception to creation, to production, to distribution. And then we actually can talk to our listeners. And what's crazy is that you probably have, you know, I, I have checked the data, but you have, I could say this, you have more listeners per episode than probably some TV shows that are on like major networks. Um, <laughs> like maybe some late night shows yeah. or whatever, like, but you yeah. know what I mean? So Three in the morning. what is that? Yeah. Well, what does that tell you? But it's growing. Joe Rogan has more listeners, more downloads than mainstream TV shows. What does that tell you about the world that we live in? But it's all long form content, right? So the world, the media is telling us that our brains are being fried. We're all idiots. We can't stand more than two minutes of content. TikTok is only 30 seconds, right? I mean, so, um, but then you have some, you do, you put out, I mean, I just listened to your Quadriga episode. That was like super long. And I listened to the whole thing. I mean, so people are listening to long form. I'm surprised when people, not surprised, but people are like, oh yeah, at minute 62, you said this. I'm like, dude, you fucking listen for 62 minutes. Yeah. Well, uh, look, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what's going on. Because I've, <laughs> I've kind of thought about it a lot as well myself. And um, I think there's a few things going on here. And I put, a, I don't know if you saw the deck. I, like for a moment, I thought of raising money and creating a podcast company. And I've put that idea. I remember you were talking about it when you first, when you showed me the deck. Yeah. And I don't think I want to do it actually, because, uh, and I can talk about that later, but I, I looked into it. And what I think is going on, Charlie, there's a couple of things. So firstly, there's multiple media types. So let's go with online kind of web media. So the problem we've got with web media is that it's all clickbaity because it's, comp- it's highly competitive. Uh, banner ads don't really work, right? They just don't fucking work. Uh, I know the data from when I worked in the industry. So they've got to get as many clicks as they can to get as many views as they can. And therefore, they have to be a bit clickbaity. And also what ends up happening is most media, especially with news, they then end up aligning to one bias. They're either left or right wing, and they know their audience and they appeal to their audience. I mean, it's why Fox News does so well. I mean, it's fucking garbage, right? But it does really well. And it's not garbage because they're no good journalists. It's just garbage because they're never impartial. And, and I'll add something else to that, actually. I recorded an interview with Alex Gladstein for the Human Rights Foundation. And since I've been doing Defiance, what I said to him is like one of the most difficult problems i've got at the moment is finding the truth in news so when i went out to bolivia to report on what happened with evo morales there are two very clear narratives going on one is that he is a uh he was a great socialist left-wing leader came into power did some amazing things but started going down the slippery slope of uh kind of like the the socialist uh, tol- uh authoritarian playbook right he you know he started to want to grab more power he want you know they had a two-term limit he changed the constitution for a third term then he went through the judiciary to get a fourth term people protested he ends up getting kicked out so either he is just some kind of like hero who's being you know kicked out via a coup or or he's some kind of authoritarian and that's the two narratives and when you talk so to what's- any, when you talk to anyone charlie they're one or the other they're like, he's authoritarian, you know, we had a vote, um, you know, he lost or he rigged the votes, or it's like, no, he's a hero, this is a coup. And actually, the truth is, it's somewhere in the middle. Like, when I say in the middle, I say it's somewhere between that. Now, it could be very close to one side or very close to the other, but there's definitely truths 
on both sides. And very little news these days is people going in and finding those truths and going, right, so this is the current state. These are the things that people are arguing over. This is this group's opinion. This is that group's opinion. This is the potential to solve it. No, nobody's doing that. So that's one of the problems that, that you're finding with news now. It's becoming so political and so people are trying to make things that aren't binary, binary. So that's the problem you've got with the mainstream news. Then the, you've got the problem that people are going on Twitter and they're just arguing. When I'm, I'm guilty myself, Charlie, but I don't. Argue. We all do it. Yeah, we all do it. But I don't argue with anyone on a podcast. So the format for debates there's not really good. I tell you why podcasts are working. They're working for a couple of reasons. I think firstly they take they use up dead time. So I listen to podcasts when I'm at the gym, when I'm running, when I'm in the car. Dead time where I'm just like I've got an hour, two hours, and I can just kind of embed myself into something, and that's really cool. And what you're also finding, they're not expensive to produce, right? I am sat here in my in my home home office, Charlie, with my $400 mic, with my $600 Zoom plugged into my laptop. I mean, strictly speaking, I mean, I could do this with a phone. But, you know, for under $1,000, you can start producing a show. You can release that out on all the different platforms. And once you get a certain audience size, you can get sponsors. Look, you've got sponsors now. I've got sponsors. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm not showing off here because I, I share my numbers, but sure, like I'm doing sure. like some months thirty to forty thousand dollars, right? And that's because people trust you, and they trust that you're, you're willing to be impartial, and that you're. But you have a well-produced show. Yeah, you, you produce your show like, like, like NPR, kind of like how I like to produce my show. Like you produce your show like a BBC, a BBC radio program. Not to you know compare you to the BBC, but. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. I guess people won't listen to a show that if, if it's recorded on a phone, a phone or maybe they, they will. Um, and a lot of celebrities put out podcasts and they're just terrible. Um, I don't like them. Yeah, but you know why? Because they ha- they can. They have audience. They need a monetization avenue. But they're terrible for a couple of reasons. Well, firstly, usually they're just doing it for the sake of it, right? They're just doing it because someone said, oh, you can do this and make some money. You've got an audience. And I reckon most of them don't have the enthusiasm. You know, they check in and check out. Whereas I don't know, I don't know how much time you spend with Charlie, but this is all I fucking do, right? I get up and that's all I think about all day. I'll record one or two interviews a day. I'm prepping for them. I'm like, that's all I do, and I care about it. So I this th- has become my full time job. There you go. I buddy. said it the other day. It's like exhausting, but it's amazing. I love it. I love having a full time job again. Dude. I really do. I I swore off it, um, but this is it. And it's great. It's his favorite job I've ever had. Yeah, like, it definitely is. But but so so what I think is going on is that, you know, someone like Rogan, the reason people like Rogan is like, he, he doesn't give a fuck, right? He says what he wants. He gives his opinion. You know, he will go on. He will say, yeah, I hunt. <laughs> you know, I do DMT. I'm an MMA commentator. I, I don't like some of this trans stuff that's going on. or the, And he, he will criticize both the left and the right. And you're like, oh, you know, I trust this guy. Whereas if you stick on, if you stick on Fox News, it's going to be, very, very right wing. You stick on MSNBC, it's going to be very, very left wing. And you just don't trust them anymore. And so what ends up happening is someone like Rogan ends up getting a bigger audience. And, pe- and then also the advertisers are like, well, people like him and they trust him. I'm going to spend money with him. So I think I think what podcasting is, is nothing more than the growth of more authentic and trusted media. Joe Rogan, you and me, all have something in common that we've been through very traumatic things in our life. And I think that's one of the reasons we're able to have very strong opinions about something and frankly, not give a fuck because of life experiences that we have. Do you agree? 
Yeah, I do actually. I, t- I tell, you, tell you, it's a funny thing because you've been tr- you've been very transparent about what you've been through. You know, very. And I mean, when I was with you, it was like you were fully open, dude. You cards on the table. You you know, it's quite emotional, and and you know, especially with Courtney, it was very emotional. Like some of the things that I came know. out, and, and we weren't even drinking. No, we weren't. It was the morning, <laughs> but like, but you you weren't afraid to tell that story, right? And so, what I think when people are like that, they become likable. You know, I've never hidden away from my addictions, my failures, you know, and, and, and it's, you know, it's a, like, it's a, like people can't troll you on it when you talk about it yourself. They can't make fun of you about it. Well, they try. I mean, come on. Like I've seen the people. No, no, they can try, but they, it doesn't, it shouldn't, or it doesn't, or maybe it does a little bit to me. It does sometimes, but it doesn't get to you. But I mean, without naming names, you see people who are just crazy, crazy trolls on Twitter. like super trolls and then one little meme gets made and they're like all up in arms crying and you know like because they can't dish it and i think i maybe have said this on your show we have to go back and check but i think i may have told you you're asking about prison and and i said um the trolls in 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 real life on crypto twitter are nothing compared to the trolls in prison because in the prison that i was in you there's no violence so people have this insane passive aggressiveness and a need to be aggressive without the use of violence. So tr- I feel like trolling was invented in federal prison. Um, and I had to condition myself to that every, from the moment that you, the moment I wake up in jail to the moment you go to bed, you are on constant alert. You are, you have, you know what prison taught me? Yo. Situational awareness. <laughs> what is situational awareness? It's something they teach you in the CIA. When you walk into a room, and actually my wife is very good at it too. When you walk into a room, and I implore everyone, if there's a skill that you want to learn in your life, go to like some sort of training. And don't just Google it. Like go to some sort of training or life experience to learn how to do this. When you walk into a room, any action that you take or any action that someone else takes How will that affect the rest of the room? So do this. Walk into a coffee shop and say, if that guy threw a cupcake at the other guy, what would happen in the room? Situational awareness is so important in life. Yeah, the trolling thing itself is funny as well. Like I I support trolling. I think it should exist. You know, Ricky Gervais. 100%. Ricky Gervais the other night, right? Was, was brilliant his his trolling of the megastars of hollywood was it's fantastic and he was you know he's right okay and you can support trolling and at the same time you can be honest and that it gets to you yourself you know like i i appreciate that i've been trolled at times because i've done some cringy as fuck things i've got some things wrong we all do right you, you put yourself out there you're gonna you're gonna make a misstep and some of the the trolling has made me really think you know there's a, i mean i don't mind naming names like that carbon-based prick, right? At the time when he was going for me a few times, like it was helpful. That's the weird thing. It was helpful, Charlie. It made me think. It made me think, God, am I just putting out absolute bloody nonsense here? And it also, when he was trolling other people and I saw some, I was like, yeah, he's got a point. He's really got a point. So I actually think the trolling's useful. And I think at the same time, you're allowed to be honest and say it gets to you. Like if you have a bad day, like I've seen some people say some atrocious things to you. like call you specific i mean i can't remember they're like i'd have to go back and check but like you're fucking no no it you're happens a, you're a criminal or you're this or you're that or you know you but that's why you went well, to I jail i'm a criminal well well <laughs> I, I, th- I thought you're not anymore <laughs> no i mean like i'm not but but like technically legally like i'm a felon right yeah. so if you're if people call me a convicted felon like okay but that's not wrong so call me that all you want um i don't you know 
I I I I committed a crime, but I also served my time. Yeah. So when you call me a felon, um, or you call you know that to me is okay. Yes, I am, but I also served my time. But I I almost prefer that than when people minimize. Um, you told me I that before. That when yeah, I don't like it when people minimize minimize the crime, and people have to learn from it. Um, compliance is a very important factor in our industry. But I still imagine despite you haven't done your time and being proud that you like you 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 did that you worked it right i still I, can't believe i fucking did that well, time though yeah like, look dude we're gonna get on to that but <laughs> but I, I imagine still like if you had a day with a bunch of people throwing that at you does it get to you does it ever like do you ever like fuck this is i just don't want to hear this anymore yeah 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 I'll, i was i just came back from a vacation and i like to to not talk about crypto um when I'm on vacation, I just like to talk about Bitcoin. Um, I don't like to talk about really any of these topics, but it does get old. I do like telling, you know, I like telling prison stories, but I could tell that when I'm telling them, you know, I look at Courtney, she's kind of like over it too. Mm -hmm. It is therapeutic, but I think that there is something like called a therapeutic process. And now three years on the therapeutic process of telling the prison stories is kind of coming to an end. And so now maybe I'm at the next wave of it and you are part of the therapeutic process of me telling the stories well that's good. So maybe i'm like moving on from that now yeah, i don't maybe. know well look i mean again we're going to come on to that because in different ways and i'm not saying i'm not equalizing it but it was a it was a sentence for you both just in different ways right you know you were you were sentenced and had to go to jail and uh, go to prison where she was sentenced and having to be like away from you and waiting for you like you know, that was one of the things I, I noticed when I, I was with you. You've both, you both, it was a sentence for both of you just in different ways. But, but the thing, I, so the point I was trying to make is that, you know, for example, I've talked about the breakup of my marriage, right? I don't mind telling the story, but it's just, just a bit fucking tiring. You go online and somebody's like, well, that's where your fucking wife left you. And it's just like, yes, I support your right to free speech and trolling. It doesn't mean you aren't hitting a nerve, you know, because you know, a breakup of a marriage is crap. You know, you go through a few years of hell. You know, you've got to go through some real difficulties with your children, taking them through that. So I, I, you know, I, I support people's right to troll and free speech, and at the same time, can say so. I support so. So I will say something like carbon base. I support his right to troll, and at the same time, I think he's an absolute prick for some of the things he says to people. It's a bit unnecessary. And if you can't stand the heat, should you stay out of the kitchen? Yeah, maybe, but I think I think also you just. I think you can, I think there's different types of trolling and you you can say, you know, there is trolling when somebody's done something a bit cringy or a bit stupid and they, they deserve it like the the Hollywood got the other night. And then there's trolling, which is just being a dick to someone for no reason. Like you're just, you're just trying to make them feel like shit. And for what purpose? Like, yeah. So what's the, what do you you have to like, you almost have to say to yourself, if I met this person tomorrow, I'll give you a story actually. Um, untold it's it may be an untold story um i'll give you a story um so a few uh, last last year i was on my way i was in the uber and i was with the with with a bunch of bitcoiners and i was in a chat room and i'm in the uber on the way to like a bitcoin dinner after bitcoin miami and i'll say i'll tell you who i and i was in the chat room arguing with with mate mate toke who runs bitcoin.com are you familiar with mate i know of him Okay, so he he used to run another new site, Bitcoinist. He had, he had started, and um, before he was a, I, I owe him a lot of debt because when I was in prison, he actually 
sent me money and wrote me letters wow. and phenomenal guy. Yeah. Like phenomenal, just a good person. Um, but unfortunately, and I don't care. He's listening to the show. Mate has been, you know, brainwashed. I feel like by the whole Bcash, Roger Veer, Bitcoin.com stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's a shame because it's made him a hostile person. So I don't care. I don't care who you are, what you believe in. I have friends who believe that that Bitcoin cash is the end all be all. And I don't, you know what it is? Like, I won't do business with you. I won't really, you know, whatever it is, I won't let you sponsor the show. But if we're having dinner, I'm not going to like argue with you. We're just going to be friends and have, have a great steak together. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, because personally, that's who they are. So here we are in this chat room and we're like arguing, arguing, arguing like he, like it got really bad. And I wasn't the protagonist in the argument. It was a bunch of other people. And it was like it got really heated, like people were calling him out and everything like that. And then we got to the dinner and he, and no one was there, like barely anyone was there except for him. He was there and I didn't know he was going to be there. And here we are arguing on our phone. And I felt my stomach drop and I felt like shit. And I said, wow. Like if, if I feel like shit because I'm arguing in a chat room, but I can't face this person in real life, what does that say about me? And I still couldn't come to terms with how I felt. Like if that happened to you, how would you feel? Well, so one of the interesting things was, um, I get trolled quite a bit by some of the hardcore Bitcoiners, like the real, like heavy Bitcoin plebs, whatever they stupid name I want to give themselves. And I get it right. <laughs> They want everyone to be the most Bitcoin they can, and and when I when I'm there going, I'm not running a node. I don't understand it. It's too complicated. Yeah, fuck off. They they get annoyed with me now, ignoring the fact they don't understand why I'm saying that and what I'm doing. You know, I actually support their right to troll me and give me shit. You know, it's by being trolled in certain ways like that it makes me reconsider, and that's really cool. Uh, I mean, some go too far, but I actually met one of them uh, in real life in. Uh, what's what I was like, I think I was in Munich and a group of people and he started then trolling me in person. I was like, oh, dude, come on, man. Like this isn't Twitter. And he was just really going at me and like losing his shit with me to the point where I was like, listen, like I'm just going to go, I'm going to go back to my hotel and I'm going to get a flight and go home tomorrow. I don't want to be at this conference or anything to do with it. And it was this weird thing whereby I was like, I've sat there arguing and being a dick on Twitter myself. But when it got into the real world, I was like, this is this is weird. <laughs> like, what the hell's going on here? And, and uh, I didn't want to be part of it. And I think that's the thing. I think most of these are. Do you know what would be great? Do you know what Twitter should do? They should that they should put a little phone icon in the in the threads. And when a, a conversation is getting heated, like people can choose to just press that and then have a phone call. And do you know what? They'll resolve it really quickly. Now, I reckon most of the things will end up not becoming an argument. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I just. I just can't fathom kind of like how 2019 ended, I guess. That's kind of like where my head's at right now. Gosh, I don't know, man. Uh, whew, uh, different ways of different people. <laughs> I had a meltdown. <laughs> I was in Uruguay having a meltdown. Uh, when? In New Year's? Uh, no, like just before New Year's. Just before New Year's. Uh, it's just all to do with the trolling stuff. Like, And I, I'm, I'm to blame for a lot of it myself. But, you know, it's a long year, a lot of travel, a lot of hard work. Stuff gets to you, man. What do you mean, though? What do, what do you mean by, like, you're not sure how it ended? My 2019 started off very, very tough. Yeah, of um, yeah. I didn't have the show, and I was still... So my 2019 started off where I was had a year left of probation, and I was in, like, 
the midst, I was like three months in of the Winklevoss uh, Shrem whole litigation. Oh, yeah. And that that took a very, very big toll on me because I was trying to fly under the radar for two years and just kind of, you know, just chill out and, and go through my three-year probation. And they had asked for the same judge. And so it was like just bringing everything back out again. And it was like, I'm back in that same courtroom I was five years ago. And it was like the PTSD all over again. And here I am, like, why am I standing in front of this judge? I've already served my time. And thankfully, 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 with the most amazing lawyers, Brian Klein, like I, I owe Team Shrem at Baker Markhart my life best lawyers ever, that litigation ended the best way I could have thought it was going to end. Like, honestly, I was in tears when that litigation was over because of how it ended. And so um, that kind of ended mid-2019. I'm so honored that Untold Stories is sponsored by eToro. eToro is the smartest crypto trading platform and one of the largest in the world with over a trillion dollars in trading volume per year. What I really love about eToro is that the CEO has been around the Bitcoin space since 2012, so they really, really put their money where their mouths are. U.S. customers, myself included, we can trade the most popular crypto assets, in fact, almost all of the ones that you want to trade, with low but transparent fees. So you actually know what you're paying for everything. And that's really, really, really important. So if you're not ready to trade yet, you can practice building your portfolio with the eToro $100,000 virtual trading feature. So you can create this whole portfolio without trading with any real money to see how you'll do. And you can learn all the different ins and outs without using any real money yet. And then once you're comfortable, you can enter the market and start buying and selling crypto for real. Best of all, one of my favorite features is that you can connect with 11 million other eToro traders in the world, myself included. And we can talk trading, charts, and all things crypto. So listen, head on over to eToro.com. Links are in the show notes and build your crypto portfolio the smart way. The reason I started this show was, is, and I don't know if I really said this before, was I was going through, I was going through a very, very bad meltdown. Um, same, same like you during this litigation. And I was sitting in therapy and my my therapist, I said, Charlie, you need to like do something. You need to like do something. You, you, you have too much free time and you're, you're going crazy. And so this podcast was actually his, his idea. Um, Amazing. And if it wasn't for him, if it wasn't for this whole thing, this show would have never started. But yeah, so that's kind of like Whoa. when, 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 when bad things happen to you, so many good things happen at the same time. And I'm so yeah. grateful for everyone who supported me for this show. Look, I get that, man. Honestly, you know, prior prior to me doing a podcast, like I've told you the story. I mean, I, we hung out. I told you, you know, my marriage broke up. My company collapsed. I nearly lost my house. Like in the space of, I went from like feeling like I had everything. And then everything collapsed in the space of about six months, ended up a drug addict. And then it was, everything was gone. I was like, what? what the hell am I going to do with my life? How am I going to figure this out? And I just fell into this podcast and it's a, like an, a new direction. It's, and it's just, I, th you know, if anyone comes out and says, Oh, I've been thinking of doing a podcast. I'm not sure. Like there are so many others. I'm like, just fucking do it. You know, it doesn't matter. It's like writing a blog. It doesn't matter whether you've got one reader, one listener or 10,000, you know, a hundred thousand. I mean, it does if you want to make money, but I'm just saying you get so much out of it. I didn't make any money on this for a year and I was loving it. Just, 
the process of trying to better yourself with something, learn new subjects, you know, improve a skill, like build something. I mean, I, I, I've absolutely loved it. I mean, look, you've done what, 50 interviews now? Yeah, this is episode 50. 50. Interviews. Right. Had you ever interviewed anyone before you did the first one? Never. Um, and in fact, I, my first one was so bad that my producers were like, debating whether to continue the show and so the first ep- yeah we we never i actually never released my first one it was like so bad because i got really curious about the guy's background like non-crypto related we ended up spending like two hours talking about that and we didn't talk about bitcoin at all brilliant well i mean i i can't listen to my first one i tried it was with luke martin because we did another one recently i weird thing i ended up in the same i ended up in indianapolis two years to the day after we recorded our first one so we did another one i couldn't go back and listen to it. i tried it, it it was so cringy i hated it um but so you've done 50 now so what are the things you've learned like in 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 making a show in recording an interview in interviewing people like what are the things you found i found that production is a lot of fun um i really enjoy the production process of like writing a show um writing a show and coming up with the guest and then and then doing the research before kind of coming to the studio here um I'm a little bit different than you is I like I prefer non in-person interviews I like being in the studio um but what I've learned is that people are fucking brilliant in this space and I just tweeted this the other day but we really are in an industry that brings together very very brilliant minds and I, but what I will say is that our social skills have not have, have not gotten better in in those no. years. <laughs> like we're still a bunch of like socially awkward people, and yep. so and so it's nice to see guests coming out of their shell. And so um, I just recorded with with someone two months ago, and the first ten minutes was him yelling at me. And Wayne, who sits on the other <laughs> side of the glass, is like, "Why is this guy yelling at you?" But I wasn't asking like hostile questions. But I was asking questions. They weren't like wrong questions. Like, why did you start this project? Oh, I didn't start this project. The foundation started this project, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh my God. Like, I didn't, I'm not trying, this is not a news show. This is not a gotcha. This is entertainment. People are listening to this at the gym. This is not like, this is supposed to be fun. And so we did this show and it was like pulling teeth. And then I had the, he actually had emailed me and he's like, can we re-record? And I said, Absolutely. And so we redid that. It was a completely different, better episode. I think that our ind- in our industry, people are constantly on edge. But at the same time, um, I could understand why, right? Like, look at look at where we are. We've we've definitely mainstreamed more. It's a slow process, but we've definitely mainstreamed. You look at um, CES this year. CES had a digital money, pan, you know, whole track. So now that we have a track at CES, um, which is the largest consumer electronics show in the world, now that we have one, um, that what does that tell you about about our industry, right? Yeah, I think maybe one of the one of the things that it's a bit different for you is because I'm sticking just with Bitcoin right now, and I find that Bitcoiners are they're kind of on the same mission together. They're all kind of united. It's this, there are people who own altcoins who also own Bitcoin, but Bitcoiners themselves are pretty united in terms of direction. They might argue over like certain points, 
but they, they, you know they're pretty united. Whereas in crypto, you've got Bitcoin v crypto, you've got Bitcoin v Ethereum, you've got you know Ethereum against Tron. Like there's, and also it's I think the crypto side has struggled a lot more. You know, the last year was actually brilliant for Bitcoin. It's, despite still being in apparently a bear market, the price doubled from the start of the year, from the start of 2019 to the it end did. of 2019. We've got some great companies building out, you know, lots of like really positive things happening. Some, you know, so I think it was actually, it was a good year that felt it sometimes it, like it wasn't because of all the misery of all the uh, shitcoin traders who are like, oh, all seasons about to start. I've still not seen a metric that I really want to see. I want to see like a metric of job creation. I think that's interesting. We're, if we're in, yeah, it's like, I wish, I wish more of our companies and I guess they, some do, some don't, maybe someone can amalgamate the data together, but, and I would venture to say that, that job creation is an amazing metrics to see. What do I love about doing this show? What do I, the best thing that I sleep at night is that, this show is now a profitable business that pays salaries of people there. I have nice. a bunch of people that work directly or indirectly for this show. Um, so over 75% of the sponsorship money that comes in goes to pay other people, not myself. Nice. Um, people don't realize that. Oh yeah, you're sponsored. No, most of the money goes to pay for production. And that's what I really love about this show. Um, one of my favorite things is that's local here in Florida. I've given back to a community that has given so much to me over the years. And uh-huh. so that is really nice. And if anything, having a show that can support itself. So our industry in the past year, um, I think we've amalgamated in a way where like the fat has been cut, skimmed and cut off and we've become leaner. So um, would you agree or disagree when I would say that 2019 was the year of becoming leaner? I think all of our companies how many companies have restructured but are still around now like we become a leaner industry that's a very very good thing it was like it's like the post.com crash it's kind of like okay now you've got to prove yourself now you've got to now you've got to drive revenue now you've got to have positive metrics and that's why in some ways i think it's probably been a good year for bitcoin you know i mean i look at companies i think that job creation is an interesting one and i also think like money raised by bitcoin companies is interesting because essentially they're usually raising for equity not some bullshit token so you know and i'll look at my sponsors i think i can't remember i did blockfi have two rounds last year but they raise money right and they're growing their team is 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 so much bigger than it was when i first started with them and I look at Kraken, Kraken are recruiting, and recruiting good people. You know, the company Dropbit I work with, they're doing really well. Like all my sponsors, sorry to give my sponsors a shout, but it's just because I'm really aware of these companies. They're all growing and they're doing super well, but they're all Bitcoin companies, right? And I then kind of try and look at the crypto companies and all I see is, you know, problems with adoption. You know, I see... I see arguments about uh, use cases. I see pivot after pivot. And I just think it, it kind of makes me even more focused on, on, on Bitcoin and, and given less of a shit about uh, crypto. So in terms of being leaner, I think it's natural. I think they have to be. Uh, I think over the next year, I think this year, I think what I tell you what I think is going to happen this year, I think it's going to be a really good year for Bitcoin again. I think it's going to be a terrible year for crypto. Because I think what's Peter, gonna... you go on. No, I um, sorry. Like 
you finish your, your statement. Well, so what I think is, I think 2020 is going to be a continuation of 2019 in that what I think is that a lot of crypto is going to exit back into Bitcoin. I think you're going to see a lot of people do like what I did, which is- I think it's happening. Yeah. And I think people who were crypto people are going to become more Bitcoin people. And I think- I th- and I think a lot more focus is going to go back into Bitcoin, and that's that's my hope and that's my expectation. Um, I could be wrong, uh, but what I see is I see nothing but positive metrics for for Bitcoin. Whereas I'm I'm yet to see I see some DeFi stuff come out that looks impressive, and then it always tends to get debunked. Um, but I just think it's going to be another really great year for Bitcoin. You talked earlier about like not being black and white. And so your, your example of, of Eva Morales was, was really a good one. And so, um, taking that same analogy, you've, you've made it a point to where like you only allow Bitcoin companies to sponsor you. And you took a hit when you did that. And it was, it was difficult for, for a while. And then you've, you built up and you had more sponsors. Mm -hmm. I mean though, but where is the, so, so I guess you drew your own line and you said, I'm only going to be working with Bitcoin companies. But at the same time, um, some of your companies still work with and make money off of other altcoins like Kraken, for example. Um, but that's not really my question is I'm trying to. I'm trying to like li- eat my have my cake and eat it, too. And uh-huh. I'll tell you what I mean by that. I'm trying to like be the judge and jury in when I pick my own when I, when I, when I allow a sponsor or don't allow a sponsor. So, um, but at the same time, like, I don't give a shit. Right. So BitPay is one of my sponsors and, and, and listen, you could say whatever you want about BitPay, but they are one of the first oldest and longest companies in the space. And I feel like, and I've been, I've personally been using their products since 2000 and, and 11, sorry, 2012. And so, um, I guess where, is the line. And so like, can I be the the judge and jury and saying like, Oh, I think that company is actually a scam, but here's another company that, yeah, they have a token, but I don't think that they're out, that they're frauds. I think that they have good intentions and they're actually building a really, really good project. Maybe that their token doesn't need to be, but Hey, they actually didn't do an ICO. Can I be that judge and jury or should I be more of like hard ass and, I don't feel like it's my job to like tell other companies or tell other people what they should and shouldn't do in the space, I guess. Yeah, these are all really good points and really good questions and things I've wrestled with. So I'll tell you what, I, what, what my, I'll, I'll do. So it's a Bitcoin show now. It was a crypto show. It's a Bitcoin show now. So I only want Bitcoin companies to sponsor me. Now, if your Bitcoin company also does stuff with tokens, fine. That's your choice. As long as you're not breaking the law... If I don't care, like I want to work with companies that deal with Bitcoin. I think the Bitcoin purity test to only so if I could only deal with companies that only dealt with dealt in Bitcoin and didn't cover any tokens and were only the Bitcoin companies that the real Bitcoiners liked, I wouldn't be making enough money to be able to do what I'm doing now. You know, what happens is, you know, say I invoice $40,000. About eight to nine thousand goes purely on staffing and um, and uh, like equipment and licenses cost, and then most months I'm traveling, so another ten to fifteen thousand dollars goes on travel, hotels, food, etc. While I'm away, you know it gets eaten up pretty quickly. But 
but it enables me to get around the world to meet and do all these amazing interviews. Now, I'm not going to sell, I'm not going to do any work with a token company because I don't want the money that much. But, you know, you've got to look at a company like Kraken. Um, absolutely support what they do. If they want to list, if they don't want to list tokens and be Bitcoin only, then they are put themselves in a very anti-competitive position whereby all their competitors pretty much are going to be trading tokens. And also, I'm not, I don't feel like I have the moral authority over what is right or wrong. Like, I don't. I've got no interest in tokens or altcoins. I don't feel like I have the technical or moral authority to say whether whether they won't be a success or whether they should exist or not. You know, something like Hex by Richard Hart, that was a scam. Okay, I want nothing to do that with that. If you look at someone like Brave, I don't... Such that a is scam. such a well, scam. We, we'll come to, we'll come to that. Const- you look at someone like Brave, right? I don't agree with the token. I wish... Brenda and I could done that with Bitcoin. I understand his arguments not to, but is it an outright absolute 100% scam? That's yeah. a great example, though. Brave is a great example, though. Like, I would wrestle with that if they came to me and said, hey, we want to advertise. See, I would show. be a no if it was for uh, for the basic attention token. If it was for the... Br- well, no, what if it was for the I mean, browser? I use the browser. I think a lot of people who don't like the token use the browser. So, so, so oh, I wouldn't I like have a problem going with, with that. This. I just couldn't... I couldn't support the token because I think ultimately the token will will die. I don't I don't think they need the token. I think they could have probably have done it in a different way. I don't even think they needed a blockchain to be honest uh, to to do that. I mean, my son trades things on FIFA with FIFA points that's done probably in some kind of database. So I don't think that was needed. But I, I think it's important to separate what is a scam from a misguided idea to to whatever. So so what I decide is because I can't. I can't hold the legal or moral authority or technical authority in any of these projects. I can express my doubts, but I, because I can't do it, I'm not going to sit there and spend all day every day, like some people do, saying, you're all scammers. Everyone who uses a scammer if it's not Bitcoin. I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not Giacomo. I don't, have his, uh, I don't have his way of thinking and skills. So as long as you're a company that primarily d- deals in Bitcoin, then I'll, then I'll work with you because you are pushing forward Bitcoin. So that... Do you look at the executives? Like, what do they tweet? What do they say? Who yeah, they so I think about with? stuff like that. Yeah, I kind I of do. do. I do. So I'm really happy with Zach Prince. I think he's a great guy. And I've got to know Flory as well over at BlockFi. J- Jesse Jesse's from Kraken, of course. <laughs> One of my a main uh, hero. And we don't use that word lightly. He's a good fucking guy. And, and fucking I also like the guys over at Dropbit. And uh, I like uh, uh, Michael Dunworth over at Wire. So, like, I'm happy to work with all these people would i work with bitco i mean i don't know the problem is i haven't been around long enough so i i don't i don't come with the baggage of 10 years i know where it comes from it's, it's to do with belshi and the new york agreement right i know so that whole th- i so so if, that's a great example so if bitco came to me right now and i like that we're doing this and said charlie we want to sponsor your show i would i would probably say yes for like the first quarter and i'll tell you why I'll tell you what. So I wasn't around during the New York agreement stuff. So maybe I'm jaded because I, I really missed out on like the first ch- chism, chasm, yeah. chism. What, what is it? Is that, is that when you were Ta- doing your, is that when you were doing your time? Idiot. Yeah, I was doing, I missed right. that whole thing. I wasn't invited. I was like, didn't even know about it. Like at all. Um, the first New York agreement, the Hong Kong agreement. Right. Um, but I'll tell you what I do know about Bitco. Ben Davenport, who was the founder of Bitco. I remember sitting in the Facebook campus in 2013 with him when he was still at Facebook 
And he was saying, Charlie, I love Bitcoin. I fucking love it. I want to leave Facebook and I want to like do something with Bitcoin. So I remember that conversation. And when he had founded BitGo, it was for Bitcoin infrastructure. Now, whatever happened, happened. But I still feel like I owe a debt to someone like that. And so for me to say no, because of what had happened, I don't know. That's where kind of my moral, I feel like, you know why I feel like I owe a debt? Because I live and work in this industry. I, I lose sleep at night if I ever have to go and work not in Bitcoin. I don't want to ever, ever have to go get a real job ever again. And so if these companies have created these this infrastructure and these jobs, that's yep. our industry now. Like we live in it. Uh, and so that's why. If, so, yeah, I guess I'm I struggle well, with that, too. But I guess we should be lucky that yeah. we even have sponsors that want to even <laughs> well, sponsor so, us. Yeah. Right? No, they're lucky they have us. That's what they should. they're lucky. They have us. They're lucky <laughs> I love they're, that they're, attitude. They, they have us bring them customers. No, no, we are lucky. The, the thing, so I know Ben. I've met Ben a couple of times. Um, been to a dinner with him, organised by Suna. I really like Ben. I've got a lot of time for him. Uh, I've reached out to him for a couple of times to help. Uh, I've only spoke to Mike once. Um, I guess what it is is that at different times in the Bitcoin history, like things have happened, and you're either on the right side or the wrong side of history in that moment of time, like that war, that battle. You know, and I actually think sometimes I think because I'm kind of new around here, I'm like the new guy, I sometimes look at things with a different lens. So when I look at the New York agreement, if you forget Roger Veer's bullshit, I look at that and I think, I reckon there's some people there who genuinely, for the right reason, wanted to do the right thing. And I know like Jameson supported. I think yeah. most people did, though. I think most people, even even Jeff Garzik. Um, I didn't think he had bad intent. I've known Jeff for so long. He doesn't have a bad blood in his body. Yeah, well, so I know at one point, Jameson, like he said on my podcast, he supported bigger blocks. There's people at different times who have supported bigger blocks, right? So so when I, I was kind of following that thing, where it really stood out for me was when they had the New York Agreement and, and none of the uh, none of the devs went. They all boycotted it. And it was a closed-door meeting. That was the point I went, okay, something here kind of sounds wrong. But dude, look, if I'd have started a company in 2014, 15, could I honestly say 100% hand on my heart when the New York agreement happened that I wouldn't have been part of it, that I might have not said, actually, this seems like a good idea, two megabytes isn't a bad thing. I honestly can't say I wouldn't have. Um, But what happens is people get on on the wrong side and then they're, you know, they're cast aside. Like, yeah, and I think they Ben's fine, but I think maybe Mike's reputation took a big a bit of a hit with that. And, you know, I've never had a chance to talk to him about it. I agree. You, When you dig into your positions, you end up digging yourself into a much worse hole, which is why I don't like labels. Yeah, but some get get out of it. Like Wences, you know, I met him recently. In uh, I met him a few weeks ago in Uruguay. First time, great guy. You know, he, he seems to have realized he got it wrong, called it wrong. You know, I apologize if people have forgiven him. I've spoken to Eric Voorhees about it. Um, he like he's very interested position of Eric. Like me and him don't agree on tokens and altcoins, right? That's fine. But I still really like Eric, and I like talking to him about libertarian stuff. And he's got a lot of shit. People are saying you owe us an apology for the New York agreement. And I could have this wrong. If Eric listens to it, feel free to reach out to me and tell me if you think I've got this wrong. But I think the reason Eric has never apologized is because I think he his point is that at the time he thought he was right. So why apologize for doing what you thought was right at the time? But his reputation has, uh, t- took, a, took a hit from that. 
but other reputations will take big hits. Like, and some people went too far. Like Roger, Roger Veers, yeah, his reputation is obviously is just mud now. And I, I think some of that stuff happens. So when you get opportunities for sponsors, it's like, you know, I would really have to think about someone like Bitcoin. I would probably, actually, I won't name names just to drop them in right now, but I can think of two yeah. or three people I would instantly contact and say, look, I've been approached by Bitcoin for a sponsor. What do you think? You know? Well, you should contact me, by the way. I'm more than happy. You're, you're, you're really, um, more than happy to help like, you. You just go with it. Take the money, Pete. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I, would, I, would get, I would pick a couple of very extreme hardcore Bitcoiners and say, what do you honestly think? And so someone like, I mean, someone else like blockchain.info would be another one I, I imagine would be a challenge. But, 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 but it, see, I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow, uh, as a moral, I won't allow any company that had, took an investment from Roger. Right. I just won't. That's fair enough. At all. And that's and that's not because of opinions or beliefs. That's just because of he hurt me. Um, he hurt me personally, and so I'll, I I I'll forgive him when he forgives me. I guess we could say. Let's leave it at that. If he's listening, you're to the never going to get that. <laughs> no, I that's mean, fine. Like I've had, but also I know for a fact that he exerts influence on all of his companies. Of he does, and and uh, he's like the George Soros and his tribe of people. He like. Going into the RBTC subreddit, it's insane. Like the parroting, the the things that people say. I mean, I just go in there to troll them these days. But yeah, so like the point being is I have to really think about my sponsors. And I get, you know, I get shit for them as it is. You know, you know I get shit for having Kraken because they have tokens. I stand by their their um desire to do tokens. And the fact that they sponsor me and I can go around the world and make this amazing show and push Bitcoin forward, I'm cool with that. I get shit for having BlockFi as a sponsor because some people do not like the fact that it is a custodial interest uh, account that you have with them. It's not your keys, not your Bitcoin. But I speak to other Bitcoiners who are saying, well, you need you need financial products in the Bitcoin industry and some of them will be custodial. So the the Bitcoin purity test is hard to pass. And I don't feel the need to be Bitcoin pure. I feel that I need... Oh, you make your own like, line. Is, is it net good? Like, is what I'm doing net good for Bitcoin? Undoubtedly, yes. So all the other critical shit I get, it doesn't matter because I know myself it's net good. I know that... I know if if it's the, the most downloaded show, Bitcoin show, if it's doing 300,000 downloads a month, there are people who like it. So they're, they're enjoying the show. I also know it's listened to by a range of people from absolute beginners to like OGs. Like I know people will get in touch who are real hardcore Bitcoin and say, oh, I listened to your show with Zabo or I listened to your show with Charlie. It was great. So I'm also cool that I'm producing with content for the right group of people. I'm I'm happy with my choice of sponsors, but I will tell you something that is kind of interesting, Charlie, because you know, people are like, oh, you're just a marketing guy and you're just like, you're just trying to like make money off Bitcoin and you're not genuine. So in the last year, I, I'd have to like total it up, but I'll give you a broad range. I've turned down anything from 500,000 to a million dollars in sponsorship, accum like accumulative, right? So I probably couldn't have taken them all along because I wouldn't have had enough slots. But I've certainly turned down that much in sponsorship um, from different companies. I mean, there was one token <laughs> that you know they wanted they wanted to come on, they wanted to come on the show, which you can't pay to do. Um, they wanted a sponsor and they wanted some tweets. And we were talking two hundred thousand dollars, and I had to turn it down because it was a fucking token. So you know, I mean, I, I turned down a Lambo. <laughs> So yeah, really? well, yeah, because I couldn't work with this company because I don't believe in what they're doing. 
as soon as I start, start talking about it on the show, everyone's going to be like, what the fuck is this bullshit? So, so I had to turn it down. It's a Bitcoin show. There's no, there's no slots available for tokens. You know, in, in mainstream media, we don't, we don't often see articles that are blatantly wrong um, because it's, um, well, I don't really know why. We see a lot of corrections and retractions. Lately, we've seen with crypto media, just articles that are just blatantly just wrong. Um, yeah. And I think, and I hate to say it, but I think even the best crypto news source, we want double verification. So if I see an article on Coindesk, if I don't see it somewhere else, I may not believe it, or I may say, hey, like, I want to see the rest of the story. I think we don't trust. What's the future of podcasts? Are we going to become now the, the where where people look to for information? You like journalism, but I, Ooh, I'm very quickly yeah. to say that I don't like. Uh, technically, I probably am a journalist, you know, because I'm in this in this doing this show now, but I don't like to to do news or journalistic show, right? I, I'm more of an, <laughs> I like to do entertainment. You know what I, yeah. when, when, when they ask me to make speeches at conferences, uh, the first thing I say is, listen, I'm an entertainer. So if I get on stage, I'm going to make your audience laugh, cry, have fun. So what do you want me to talk about? I like doing that. Um, but where do you yeah, see us? A, that's a funny one. So I love that one. I tell you why I love that because very early on when I was like doing the show and I'd have people like Roger on it and people were like, you're a journalist and you're given a platform to a scammer. And, and so, and then now I get, when I say I'm a journalist, people go, you're not a journalist. You haven't got the experience. Yeah. So they, they, they're a, you're a journalist when they don't like what you're doing. And, uh, and then you're not a journalist when they don't like what you're doing. So like they pick and choose. I, I like, I, <laughs> I say now I am a journalist. I happily say I'm a journalist, but I admit that I am not like a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. I am not, um, I'm not like a writer for the Wall Street Journal, but I, f I think I investigate things. I think I look into topics and I try and find answers. So that for me is journalism. And I'm definitely in the very early days of learning my trade. Now, we're a different type of news source. We're not breaking news, right? We are topics and it depends on the show i'm making so when i'm out in bolivia doing a show about eva morales and i've spent two days there speaking to people and i'm trying to get my questions together to construct an interview which also has my intro with explains what i think that to me is a piece of journalism you might not like it but it's definitely higher quality journalism than tabloid we have a thing called the sun in the uk so i'm i'm i would say i'm a more credible journalist than them and i would say i'm a less credible journalist than maybe some of the best writers for for reuters i'm so, i'm somewhere in between those my journalism well, well we'll come to that let me just finish my point when i did the mount gox stuff i would say that's journalism i would say when i did an interview with you charlie and i'm finding out about your life in you know, what life was like for you in prison. I think that's both journalism and entertainment. Like I'm entertained by the story as I'm entertained by watching about prisons on Netflix, but it's also journalism because I'm finding something out, right? I can't say whether I think you're a journalist. Mm. I think that's for you to answer. I, I was like, think about the shows you make. Okay, so I've got your list of shows in front of me, right? When you're doing a, a show, let's say Andreas Antonopoulos on how Bitcoin defeats the control over money, that's not entertainment. That's journalism. You might be entertainment, but that's journalism. You are. It's, it's news which people should know about. I don't even know what the definition of journalism is. 
Well, I think that I, I think journalism and entertainment overlap. I mean, look, we've got war potentially breaking out up in the Middle East. Yeah, right what now. the hell is going okay. on with that today? But, do, but dude, like everyone's going to the news for entertainment. Like, it's this weird world where like war's entertaining, right? It's like fuck the news is on, right? What's CNBC saying? What's the Sky saying? What's BBC saying? And you're attracted to it. It's news, it's journalism, but you're entertained by it in this weird, perverse way. So I think, I think, new, I think journalism and entertainment can overlap, and I think there are forms of journalism which, I mean, it depends what the definition. I mean, what's the definition of entertainment? I think entertainment can exist on its own and not be journalism, but can journalism ever not be entertainment? Hey, have you ever been approached by anyone to like do a mashup podcast type thing where they take bits and pieces of your and other show? Uh, yes, I've had people come and they want to use parts of my show in other things. I just say no. So, so I, I always say no and it's, but I feel like it's becoming more frequent and there are more professional production companies that want to do these mashup shows now. And at first I was like, well, why would I do that? Because it takes listeners away from me. But it's a form of flattery because to go on what you say, these mashup shows now are realizing that people are looking at our shows like their primary source of information and entertainment. And so, you know, you have a lot of shows that come out on a daily basis that are still long form. And God bless those podcasters because I struggle with even doing two episodes a week. Um, So I don't know how they do five, but now, and I've not said yes to these mashup show, but you know, if these mashup shows now are becoming the de facto place where someone's going to listen to every morning for their daily updates and news and entertainment, and then someone's taking a two minute clip of every of our episode, um, is that a net benefit for us or a, a net negative? What do you think? Uh, I, I'm not keen. Do yeah, you know I'm, I'm still not keen, keen too. But I tell you, I, well, I don't want. I don't want. Like, I want. Ideally, when someone listens to one of my interviews, hopefully if they enjoy it, I want to Context. listen to the whole thing. Yeah, because it's a body of work. I don't want bits chopped out of it. And I just, I don't want to give people part of my work. If someone, But then at the same time, if someone stole it, somebody just went on and cut about it, I mean, I wouldn't give a fuck. But I just, I don't know, I'm like, I'm entirely focused on the thing that I'm trying to create, which I haven't actually figured out yet, which is about me and where I want to take take this. So that takes me to another question for you, Charlie. You're doing, I wonder if you'll go through what I went through. Are you, are you feeling the draw to do stuff outside of crypto and Bitcoin? You know, I, I do think about that now they have kind of a system for this show now, but I don't like, I would like to do a show that's a very local show. Like where I live, Sarasota, I would like to do like a Sarasota show, just the local, like hummings and goings and politics and stuff like that. And I feel like I could do a good show. But I don't know if I'd be able to do it as well as I do this show. Um, I don't know if I'd be the best at it. But at the same time, um, someone else did it in Tampa. So someone else launched a podcast called The Zest. It's a lo- it's huh. And it's like a basically local Tampa show. And I like it. I listen to it. It's like 45 minutes. But I found out that it actually was created and produced by the local public radio uh, network. And so... That's why it's such a great show is because they produce it. Um, but at the same time, I don't know. You've, you've, you took that step with Defiance and mm-hmm. you're doing a really good job at it. And you're getting like amazing guests and you're getting, 
you're doing this show, but like you said earlier that sometimes the downloads are not where you want them to be. Um, do you think you'll continue to branch off and do more shows? I feel like untold stories can be any industry. So if I were yeah. to branch this off, I don't know if I'd be the host of the untold stories of the garbage industry. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I'd be that you person. Be. Could be. I don't well, know. Well, <clears throat> so, I mean, ultimately, I, do, I, in, do I think in 10 years I will be doing a uh, – I don't know if in 10 years I'll be doing a Bitcoin podcast – I, my hope is that, like, I see everything converging to just me doing hopefully a podcast under my own name, where one week I might have Nick Zabo and the next week I might have um, James Hetfield from Metallica, right? Ultimately, I just want to get to the stories and the interviews that really interest me. The best interviews I find are the ones where you're really into it, right? Let, again, let me ask you another question. How much prep are you doing for your interviews? Uh, are you prepping for all of them or some of them? Are you doing different levels of prep? I have a system. Um, okay. I don't like to write the show. I don't pre-write any of the questions except for the first one, the first big one. But at the same time, I do do a, I do do a few hours of research before each guest, even if I know them. Um, I probably prepare about eight or nine pages of, of documents. And then I actually have like on my desk here at the studio. So I, I operate out of a physical studio here in, in Sarasota four days a week. I'm in the studio here. Um, and um, here right now, and Wayne will print for me like eight or nine pages, and I'll have them like spread across the desk, and I have highlights, and I have circles, and so I'm constantly, <laughs> you know, that's just kind of the way I like to do it. Now, Courtney for Christmas got me this like Sony e-paper thing, so it's because she knows that they would make my life more efficient. So it's basically it's the size, it's an eight and a half by eleven piece of digital paper that's made by Sony, and now I can do everything I just described without printing. So I'll still do a lot nice. of that research, but I don't, for the same reason, I don't like to write my speeches. I'll get on stage. I've done Ted talks and Ted wants you to write all your speeches and they want to like pre-approve it. And I think I've done one of the only Ted talks in the history of Ted talks where I have not written my speech and somehow they still let me do it. I just don't like to do it. I don't like to limit myself. So I have, it depended on the guest. So Nick Zabo, I'm totally prepping for that. I don't want to miss anything out. And I've got three, four pages of questions or bullet points. And then if it's a different guest, say I was going to interview, say Adam back. With Adam, I won't have the questions, but I'll have the topics. Right, these are the topics I want to get through. And then the third type is where I just don't have anything. And this is one of them, Charlie. So I know I can sit down with you. Yeah, this you, was a great episode. And I, I have to prepare. Well, I, I know with you, Charlie, I can sit down for two or three hours and just talk, right? I know you, you're a friend. I know what you're about. <clears throat> I can just shoot the shit. I mean, we can go into any subject. We could we could go into sports and politics or, or anything, and I could just talk to you. What what I'm getting at is these are my favorite ones, the ones where, you know, it's not that I don't have to prep. I just don't have to have questions in front of me and worry about the next subject. My Ultimately, I want to get to the point whereby – they're all the interviews I'm doing. The ones where I can just sit down. Really? It's about, yeah, it's about a subject I like. So it might be Bitcoin because I like Bitcoin, right? Or it might be boxing because I like boxing. Or it might be a footballer because I like football. Or it might be James Hetfield because I like heavy metal. It doesn't, like, I'm just in, in my comfort zone having an interesting conversation about the things I like. That's where I want to get to. I do also, though, like covering human stories, right? I like... So what I found recently, there's a guy on Twitter called Josh McGruff, 
we've always just talked. He's a crypto guy. He was in the army. Uh, he's got a daughter with who's got Down syndrome. And I was in Ohio, and I was heading to Indianapolis, and I I knew he was up that way. And I was like, dude, I, can I just come and see you? Maybe we'll make a show. And he said yes. So I ended up making a show in his kitchen with him and his wife, with his daughter, running around, just finding out about you know what is it like raising a child with Down syndrome? What are the things we're not aware of? What's schooling like? What's what's the medical system like? I kind of want to do more of that. So I've I've come into contact with people recently who I've wanted to interview who aren't known for anything. So when I was flying out to Argentina, the lady behind me on the plane, I ended up talking to her for about half an hour. Her husband had died three months ago. He'd oh, no. Had, yeah, terrible. He'd had, it was, I can't remember, it was either Parkinson's or Alzheimer's. She looked after him for six years. He died. And then the first thing she did was she booked a trip to the Antarctic. She was like, right, I've always wanted to go. I'm going to go and see that. And I thought, God, you know what? You'd be fascinating to interview. Like, I want to know, <clears throat> I want to know the story of you and your husband, how you met, like what you went through, what was it like looking after him? You know, now he's gone. What, do you, what are you thinking about the future? I think that would be a really interesting interview as well. So I don't know. I'm, I'm getting really drawn into people stories as well. I love people stories. So, so Charlie, I'm conscious of time. We, uh, I had, had a bunch of things I wanted to talk to you about. You know, we're gonna have to do this again. We should do it again. Let's like do it every, I don't know, like six months or 50 episodes or whenever you hit well, a milestone. Well, I've got to come out to Florida soon anyway. But I did want to ask you something else. Mm. We've only ended up covering like trolls and podcasting content. But but I actually want to ask you something else. So like you've been in this for nine, ten years, right? You're at the very start, pretty much when all of the Bitcoin stuff was kicking off. You know, you're here now where it's a very, like, very different world. Like, firstly, ha ha what do you make of it all? And where do you think we're going to be in like 10 years time? And I know that's a massive question, but you're, you're one of the people who's been around for most of this. I need to take a minute to think about an answer. Yeah. Um, I'll attack the first, the first answer. What do I think about all this? Um, you're right. It's, it's almost a decade in, in, in Bitcoin. Um, and this is a situation where I'm not going to use the word crypto because there's no decade in crypto yet. We we're we're coming up on, for at least my anniversary of a decade in Bitcoin. Next year will be my anniversary of, of 10 years in the space. And to say that I'm I'm only 30 years old and I've been in any space for, for 10 years um, is unbelievable. And I guess I'm very honored um, and grateful and thankful to to the whole community for, for allowing me to come back into it, right? The community could have very easily said no, um, just by not listening to the show or not allowing me to, to have even a platform. Um, so I will say that we're a community that does allow second chances. Now, in terms of Bitcoin, if, if in 2011, you asked me, what would Bitcoin look like in 2021 or 2020? Um, what would I say? I would probably say something like in 10 years, everyone's going to be using Bitcoin. We just don't know about it. It'll be a complete financial revolution. Boy, was <laughs> I fucking wrong about that. It takes time. Um, it takes yeah. a long time. However, so if you were to say to me, if you if you had a time machine, if you came to me in 10 years and Peter, you showed up in my dream and you said, first of all, if I was dreaming about you, I'd have have a serious discussion with my wife. But if yeah. you came to me in a dream 10 years ago and you said, Charlie, this is my name is Peter. You have no idea who the hell I am. But in 10 years, this is what our industry is going to look like. And you show me just like screenshots in a short film. I wouldn't believe you. I would say like, 
completely, you know, outlandish. It's, it's wrong. But now having, being where we are to what we went through in the past 10 years, I'm like, wow, I can't believe how far we've come. I don't know how, like, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. It's like, I guess I'm, I don't believe I, I, I'm happy with, with where we've come and how, so like, in so in 2012 or 2013, this guy came up on a Reddit post and I'm always bringing this up. And he wrote this crazy story about like what Bitcoin's going to look like in like 30 years from now. And he even outlined the, what the Bitcoin price is going to be every like year. And just so far, he's been so accurate. And he's like, I came from the future. And this guy wrote this Reddit post and he had like no other post and he's never written or been anywhere since. And, you know, he said that we're all going to be living in citadels in 20 years and the price of Bitcoin will become so high that we won't even be de denominating it in dollars anymore. Like, and he talks about like which Bitcoin celebrities will be shot first and like crazy stuff. Um, sure. but so far he's been like accurate. It's kind of scary. You have to read this thing. Um, yeah, send it to me. Yeah, I'd I have like to find to it. it. I always go back and read it, but also, um, you know what we used to do, but no one does it anymore. Go back and, and Google in 2013, in 2012 and in 2014, uh, I wrote a holiday message to the whole Bitcoin space. And, I, and I would write these like new year's messages about like how far we've come and where we're going. And I mean, if you, if you read these messages, I go back and there's such great content like here. So this was a message I wrote in, I wrote this seven years ago. Um, I wrote this seven years ago and this was a uh, 2000 and this was new year's 2012 going into 2012, I think, or going into 2013. I said, I said here, I'll, I'll read it to you. I said, uh, season's greetings. Thinking about the year that just ended, I cannot be thankful enough to be a part of a community that does not discriminate, does not hate, besides for the trolls, and does not care where you came from, who you are, what your background. All of us work 24-7 with our blood, sweat, and tears to make this world a better place, a place where Bitcoin prevails. So that first paragraph, think about that for a second. I didn't mention crypto or anything else. This was still a very ideological year. This was when everyone in the space, this was here for ideology. We loved Bitcoin for what it could do for the world. And then I went into it. I said, look how far we've gotten just in the past year, 2012. It's insane. We've been through the fire pit and came out on the other, on the top. They tried to scam us, cheat us, hack us, discredit us, and shut us down. Where are we now? The price is at $13. This time last year, it was hovering around $5. Market depth is doing much better and now cost more money to manipulate the market, an unbelievable sign of strength. We have more exchanges to buy Bitcoin and more cheap, safe, and secure ways to buy Bitcoin all over the world, from New York City to the Caribbean islands, Kazakhstan, Finland, Brazil, and more. Now there are hundreds of new Bitcoin companies and startups. New sites that accept Bitcoin are emerging every day like WordPress. That was the biggest, like that. These were the days when, when, when WordPress accepting Bitcoin was like top news. No longer are we considered juvenile hacker kids looking to launder money and buy drugs online. Meanwhile, this was my, this was before I got arrested. Um, we have been credited as a real movement tied to real beliefs and ideologies that have been around hundreds of years. Having said that, I want to convey to you how happy I am and how thankful I am to be part of this with you all. 
I cannot ask for a better team of people to share this ride with to infinity and beyond happy holidays. Um, yeah. And that, and then, Love so, it. and then right after that, someone said, these are the goals for next year, four times more users, owners, savers of Bitcoin. We want a price stable with low volatility around $30. And we want at least two more major announcements on par with the French bank and WordPress accepting Bitcoin. And then we'd also like a handful of new high quality introductory videos explaining Bitcoin to late. Oh my God. And then I, someone tipped me 0.1 Bitcoin for that seven years ago. I wonder how I can get that money. 0.1 Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, cause well, what was it? 37. So you got $3.70 for that. I get, yeah. <laughs> and now it's like nearly a thousand dollars. Oh shit. I got to find that. This was a tip bot. <laughs> Amazing. Well, that's cool. So, I mean, those were the, yeah, now there's a, People wrote these huge comments about what their belief was and how theirs the years went. And then I did that again in 2013. So going back and reading those early holiday messages and seeing like, what was our community? And, and you know where I posted that? On our Bitcoin, because that was the only place like that was read. And I haven't been, I haven't read or posted on Bitcoin Reddit ugh, in years. It's just toxic wasteland right yeah. now. Yeah. Well, Reddit, Reddit's just a pain in the ass. Can't, can't, it's unusable. Wow, interesting that, and I guess I right? guess crazy. I guess the objectives for the next year will be very similar, right? It's more places to yeah. buy. It's hopefully more places to buy with less KYC. More people understand privacy, but I, I, I imagine the kind of goals and objectives are very similar. Um, <laughs> it's just always hearing the price back then. <laughs> you know, we got up, we're up to now thirty-seven dollars from fifteen dollars or whatever it is. Just like Jesus. It was all relative. Yeah, I know. Um, I'd love to have been around. Well, I say I'd love to have been around then, Charlie, but I, I do think like being new allows me to come at it with a different lens. But, yeah, you're not jaded. Yeah. Mo most people uh, around in those early days have left. Um, a lot of them have left. Um, people that you don't know about that I don't know about. And so um, I don't know if, if I didn't go through prison for those two years if I would still even be here today, because that was like, I was like Michael Jackson, like my body was frozen for two years, yeah. you know? So I came out on the other side, but like, as if I went into, you know yeah. what I mean? So who knows? Who knows, man? Who knows? But I'm, I'm definitely as excited, if not more excited going into this year than I ever was. Why? I don't know. I just have a feeling. And the way my body works is that, my body knows things before my brain knows them. So if I have anxiety, before I even know why I have anxiety, my stomach is starting to, to feel weird. So my I'm more excited. Like I sit here with you, like in the first days of 2020 with never felt more optimistic and excited right now than I've ever felt before. Never. I mean, I go back to the New Year's of the past years and the only year I was more happy was the year I got married. But other than that, like this is the year that I think I'm so excited about what will come. I think we've we've trimmed a lot of the fat and we've become leaner. And now we're going to move forward in a very, very, very positive way. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Untold Stories are released every Tuesday and Thursday at 7 a.m. EST on untoldstories.com. Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Untold Stories is produced by Jason Yanowitz, Michael E. Polito, Reed Hannaford, and Riley Silbert of BlockWorks Group. Our account executives are Gina DeFelice and Julie Muroff. Our content is written by Kathy Zolo, Ronnie Tishner, and Scott Offer. Special thanks to Wayne Dallaire from Jump Dog Audio Productions. And of course, I'm your host, Charlie Schrem. You can follow me on Twitter, at Charlie Schrem, to continue the conversation. Send me some messages, feedback, or anything you want to say. And remember, please give some love to my sponsors, and I'll see you next week. Remember, strength in numbers and information is power.